reading from the 8th chapter of Romans, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But as Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to get some definitions out of the way. When Paul says sinful flesh, he's speaking of the word sarks for flesh. When he's speaking of the word body, he's using the Greek word soma. He's speaking of two entirely different things. Now we might say in our English language, flesh and body are the same thing. And for us they are. But here when Paul is talking about the flesh, he's talking about the desirous part of us. When he's talking about sinful flesh, he's talking about the parts of us that long for things that are contrary to what God would have for us. It really is that plainly simple. He's speaking of flesh that is bent to sin as the Wesleys said it. It's yearning for sin. It leans toward it. It's bent over toward it. Get the point? That's what he's speaking of. When he speaks of soma and the body, he's talking about a body that is impacted by sin because the wages of sin is death. And the body dies. And without Christ, I think Paul would also say the spirit dies. So there we are. That gets us kind of what we need to know so we can hear what Paul is saying without getting hung up on the idea that somehow the body is bad because that is not what Paul is saying at all. So, I know someone who decided to go to court over a speeding ticket. Y'all ever known anybody who did that? No? Everybody they knew was guilty of speeding. (laughs) 
Now, the person that I know who went to court over speeding was guilty, and they admitted that, but they had heard that if they went to court, the judge might not, you know, charge as many points or something like that, maybe lessen the fine. Well, this person went to court, and the judge asked her, how do you plead? And she said, for mercy. Nobody laughed. That's funny, isn't it? No. They don't want y'all to hear them laugh through their masks. She pled for mercy. Now, she meant it as a joke, but there was truth in it because buried in the idea of condemnation, especially in the Greek, when Paul says there is no condemnation, what he's saying is there is no down judgment. There is no judgment coming down. Now, we all dislike being judged. I think probably one of the favorite sayings of people these days, don't judge, don't judge. Everybody's telling us, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. We say that because we know we're guilty. Inherently buried under the bottom, when we tell a friend, don't judge, when they're calling us on something, we know that they're right. And we're trying to make them feel bad about pointing it out. Likewise, Paul wants to be sure that we know from this first part of Romans that he's given us here that our bodies and our, our whole self has been judged already by a law that was given. And that the wages that it has earned is death. Judgment is a tough thing. We're all afraid of it. And I think all of us, all of us like to hear of a loophole. Some way that we can get out of something that we know we are guilty of. Sometimes loopholes are the best news there is. When I was hearing Paul say last week that he doesn't understand why he does what he does, that the good things he wants to do he doesn't do, and the things that he hates are the things that he does, it made me think of some words that Jesus said to a group of Pharisees one day who were trying to trap him. And test him, they were really being quite disingenuous, which is not a good thing for the church and people of God to do. Jesus looked at them and said, I tell you that people will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. I don't know about you, but that's a little terrifying for me because I'm pretty sure I've said a lot of careless words. Especially in anger, maybe sometimes in jest. But I thought about that when Paul said, I don't understand what I do. Sometimes I don't understand the things that come out of my mouth when I'm angry or, or when I'm just tired of somebody. You, you've all probably had that same experience. And Jesus said we would give an account for all of those things. So I, I hear that, and the first thing that comes into my mind is, well, I deserve judgment. I deserve to be told I'm guilty because I'm guilty. If I go before the judge with a speeding ticket in my hand and I know I was speeding, then I should expect to pay the full fine. Likewise, here, I know that what Jesus is saying about these Pharisees, that they are speaking careless words, has been true of me and that I'm guilty of the same thing that he told them they should be concerned about. And I hear it and I think, well, I'm done. When I go before the great judge, what can I hold up against the things that I know will be held up against me? What can I hold up against the careless things that I've said? Can I say that I didn't mean them? No. Because most of the time when we're angry, how we really feel is what comes out. 
I hear people say sometimes, I didn't really mean that, but the truth is they just feel bad about having said what they really mean. Very often, as Jesus said, when we speak in those ways, it's the truth of what's in us that's coming out. And so hearing Paul wrestle, I wrestled too. And I wonder, where's the loophole? Where's the good news? You know, if, if, if I'm going to be held accountable for even my careless words, what about all the other horrible stuff that I've done? What about the other horrible stuff that I've thought? Where's the loophole? If you're my age or older, you remember W.C. Fields. You've seen him in a black and white TV screen. Maybe in the first adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. He was a witty guy. He gave us one of our most famous modern sayings. Um, If you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bull bleep. You've heard that? Can't dazzle them with brilliance? You ain't heard that one? Come on. Can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bull. Y'all have heard that. Some of y'all have said that. I've said it. It's a good way to live. Keep people off their toes. But W.C. Fields was famous for his wit and also being crass. He once also said that he doesn't drink anything stronger than gin before breakfast. Not really a good dude. Well, when it came time for him to die... A friend of his went to see him in the hospital. And when he got there, W.C. Fields was laying in the hospital bed reading the Bible. And his friend said, man, what in the world are you doing with a Bible? And W.C. Fields looked at his friend and said, I'm looking for loopholes. Looking for loopholes. We're always looking for loopholes. What we want is for someone to say, yeah, we did a bad thing, but it's okay because. It's okay because. I know I said this and I know I hurt you, but you had to forgive me because I was just, I wasn't in my right mind. I wasn't saying what I wanted to say or I was angry or my favorite one is I was drunk. The most truthful words I have heard out of some people I've known, I've heard when they were drunk. Those are the things that we do. It didn't mean anything to me. I didn't mean it. And we look for loopholes and foster loopholes. But when we stand before the judge of all creation, there will be no loopholes. The only question that will merit consideration is, do we know the judge? I hear people say sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. And in the case of what Paul is saying, it's exactly correct. Jesus is not a proposition. Jesus is not something that we believe. Jesus is a person with whom we have a relationship. And when we have a relationship with Jesus, we trans translocate into being in him our life is in him and what paul wants us to hear is that the judge has decided that if we are in him there is no condemnation not even for the careless words we have spoken not even when we did the things that we didn't want to do not even when we did the things that we wanted to do and they were contrary to god's law Paul wants us to know that we, if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There are no loopholes. There's only a judge who decided to take our sentence on himself. Paul says that the one who will judge us, the Christ, that God sent him, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And by that, he condemns sin in the flesh. 
That's what he was heading toward when he told us in chapter 6 that if we are in Christ, we have already died to sin. That our debt to sin has already been paid. That the wages of sin has already been fulfilled for us by Christ's death. And if we are in Christ, then we have already died that necessary death. And because of that, then we can be raised. And he means today and tomorrow that we are being raised and transformed to new life now. And that in the end, God will give life even to our mortal bodies who have perished and died. It's a lot to hold on to. There's a lot of good news in that. We've earned death and the judgment has been handed down. We've been found guilty. But the judge came down off the podium and put our orange jumpsuit on and took our sentence for himself. And now there is no death sentence for us. My favorite lexicon of the Greek suggested that Paul's sentence, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, might be better translated this way, there is no death sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is picking up Jesus' words when he said, whoever believes shall have life and not perish. It's a promise, not a loophole. It's not an escape clause. It is a promise that goes hand in hand with the giving of the law that was meant to show us how to live a life pleasing to God. And because we failed to keep it, because it showed us what sin was and we decided we love sin instead of God. Remember that word shows up in John's gospel, that we love the darkness instead of the light. Because we were so bent to sin, God came and took on our likeness. Died our death. And because of that, Paul says, there is no condemnation now for those careless words that you spoke. There is now no condemnation for that thing that you did 12 years ago, whatever it was. There is no condemnation. You may have guilt. You may have been found guilty, but there is no condemnation. You are released from the sentence. There is no death sentence for you. Which takes us right back to what we asked last week. Who should we give thanks to? Is it thanks to me? That was Paul's question. I know. He said, I know what I ought to do, but I can't do it. Who will rescue me from this frustration? And his answer was, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus. And we said last week that our proper thanks is to God and dear ones. That is still true. The only thing that can deliver us from our guilt, the only thing that can deliver us from our life sentence, our death sentence, is being in Christ and receiving a life sentence from Him. So we might ask ourselves, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? I believe that that relates back to chapter 6 where Paul was using baptismal language and talked about being baptized into Jesus, baptized into Christ. That when we are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, we enter into him in some way that is a mystery, which led John Wesley and others to call baptism an outward sign of an inward grace, something that God is doing in us to affix us to the life and the being of Jesus. He died for us. He died our death and is raised so that we might be raised. 
Then Paul says that those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. And it reminds me of Hebrews eleven six that tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. And I wonder if Paul isn't hinting toward that idea that somehow being in Christ means trusting Christ. But he gives us some ideas about what being Christ is not, what being in Christ is not, and sometimes that's really the best explanation we can have. So I want to point those out to you again. He says, those who are not in Christ have their minds set on fleshly desires, on the desires of our sinful heart and our sinful nature. Those, he says, who live in accordance with the Spirit have their thoughts on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by flesh is hostile to God. If our minds are hostile to God, if we hear about the things of God, if we hear about the word of God, the laws of God, if we hear about the desires of God, that we love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, and it causes hostility in us, then we might truly be right to question whether or not we are in Christ. And those are the things that the apostle lifts up. Litmus test, possibly, that if our mind is governed by sinful thoughts, then we might wonder if, if our lives are governed by our sinful nature, then we might wonder if we are truly in Christ. But maybe even more importantly, if we find ourselves hostile to God, we might wonder, which then means that if we find ourselves not hostile to God, we might find some new confidence that we truly are in Christ. And Paul will offer us that as we press on in chapter 8 with dealing with the idea of the assurance of faith, that the Spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. But the most important news today, the most important news today and something that really just kind of seems, eh, just kind of blah, but really is the best news we could ever get. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None. So if last week you heard Paul say, I don't understand what I do, and you, you found in your own heart some sympathy with Paul and understanding because you struggle with the same things, then know this, there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. So ask God for assurance. Ask God for the assurance of faith that you truly are trusting in Christ to save you. Remember your baptism, that you belong to him. And trust this news, that though you may struggle, and though you may not have reached perfection quite yet, Though you may not truly love God all the time, though you may not be able to love your neighbor freely quite yet, if you are trusting Christ, there is no condemnation for you. That is the best news we can possibly have. Everything else, as they say, is icing on the cake. And so we say thanks be to God who delivers us and sets us free from the law of sin and death. Trust.
as a way of affirming our desire to be in Christ, we profess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.